cheeky back heel. With ease, Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box, Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. Hello and welcome to another episode of Away From Hale End. This is an exciting one because it's the first one that's going to include a little bit of the international action that our youngsters are up to. But first, obviously, we need to highlight Reese Nelson scoring his first goal since December. Brooke Norton Cuffey continuing to be excellent for Lincoln on loan and much more coming up ahead. But I'm honestly very excited about the international side of things. So I hope you guys are too. And I know personally, this is really the first time that I'm going to be playing even closer attention to you know, the youth squads and the youth setups in the international space, which is really such a, a different area and quite a different game from either being out on loan or playing with the academy. Meanwhile, let's get it kicked off with our normal programming and Reese Nelson. I mean, he's finally established himself as the starting right winger for Feyenoord. That seems to be the case. Since his return from injury, he has been just excellent. Each game, he has gotten more and more confident. He has looked more and more physically dominant and... I'm not the only one noticing that. I know a lot of you have been saying he looks a lot bigger. I, I don't know if he's grown a little bit or if it's just he's put on some weight in his upper body, but his body shape is looking a lot more like uh, professional footballers and less like an academy player. And, you know, you've, we've seen that obviously with Sokka over the last few years. I mean, I was watching some highlights from the first season he broke in under Emery, and he was like literally a little kid. I mean, not only were his shoulders half as wide, but he was clearly a few inches shorter and, and just not nearly as physical of a presence. You know, obviously a big reason as to why his goal and assist numbers have gone up uh, is that ability for him to drive into the box. And I think we'll see similarly with Reese Nelson, as well as it should add some confidence to his game. I mean, I have to think that the what the manager said kind of lit a spark under Reese's butt because he has just been excellent recently. This week, he played in, in two huge matches, the first being the second leg of that Conference League quarterfinal with Partizan, uh, where he played 62 minutes in a 3-1 win and, and scored a goal, as I mentioned earlier. You know, it wasn't anything spectacular, but every goal scored is a good one. And, you know, he had some good movement to get on the end of it. He kind of was patient and waited at the top of the box until it was the right time to make that move into the, into the six and, and just kind of one time finished it and poked it home. Throughout the game, though, he was just really growing in confidence. I mean, he attempted five dribbles, uh, which is the most he's attempted in a long while, only can only successfully completing two of them. But still, for me, it's more I want to see him attacking. Obviously, the skill is there. So for me, I want to see that he is attacking defenders, going into those 1v1 situations, thinking he's the one coming out on the good end. And, you know, when he starts to do that, he starts to get just more aggressive and better on the ball. He was 6 out of 10 in his ground duels. He only misplaced three passes. He obviously got fouled a couple of times because that's what he does. And he had a key pass that he's setting up goals. He's creating goals. He's creating possession for his team when they're you know stuck in the back. Uh, I was actually quite impressed with his ability to track back and, and kind of play outlet balls to their center forward. So I really think his game has gotten a lot better uh, over the last few weeks, especially since his return from COVID and the injury. Uh, he then played the full 90 in the huge match against Ajax this weekend that Feyenoord actually blew a 2-1 to lead in and lost 3-2, but Reese played very, very well. Uh, he made a great pass in the early moments 
Uh, it should have ended up being an assist uh, that led to a one-on-one -on -one for the center forward, who unfortunately shot right into the keeper's legs. Uh, but the rebound was put in, and, you know, Reese really set that goal up. Whether or not he gets the assist at the end of the day, that's why statistics only take you so far. Reese was really the reason for that goal happening. He received a pass in his own half and, and found his striker in a good situation and, and let him in on goal. I mean, he played the whole game well. He really did. He only misplaced two passes. He had one key pass, one big chance created, as I mentioned. Again, he, he then attempted six dribbles in this game, completing three of them. Those are the kind of things that I'd like to see from him, as I said. Uh, eight of 14 ground duels won. I mean, he's clearly, this is a man who's much more physically dominant than he was previously. That is not normal for Reese. He wasn't really even going into challenges. He was rarely coming out on the positive side unless he had the full head of steam. So it's good to see. Uh, he, he was also getting shots on goal. Uh, he was fouled three times in this game and, and made two tackles of his own. So he really just has been more involved since he's been back, and he's really looking quite lively and up to the task. So I'm excited about that, and that's going to raise some big, big questions uh, about what's going to happen next year if he keeps this form going. Arsenal's summer transfer plans are going to be incredibly interesting to see based on, you know, a lot of these loans, uh, a lot of where we finish, Champions League or not, but... Reese Nelson's doing everything he can at the moment to get himself into the future of Arsenal's plans. I, I think, I mean, here's the thing. Good form for him is good regardless for the club. Either he'll be worth more money this summer, or will want to sign a contract extension, or will see himself, you know, breaking into the first team. Obviously, depends on if Pepe's leaving, depends on if we're bringing Lacazette back or Nketiah back. There's a lot of things that are up in the air, but... You know, this is just going to be another thing Arteta and Edu are going to have to figure out if Reese Nelson's form continues in this way. So that's a great thing. Obviously, we all love when Hale End players make it at the club. And personally, I'm rooting for Reese. I don't know if he'll make it for Arsenal, but it's exciting to see him back on his best foot. Brooke Norton Cuffey got 90 minutes in at back in that right wing back position as Lincoln went back to the five at the back. Obviously, a lot of that has to do for them based on their opponent. They played Sunderland in a nil-nil draw, and this was a tough match for Brooke to step up to the plate for. Sunderland are one of the better teams in the league. Uh, they really controlled the game, and Brooke had to be very involved defensively, which is, what I, the way I see that is as good as possible because that's really where he needs to grow the most if he's... Going to be that backup right back option for Arsenal next year. The truth is he needs to get better defensively. I mean, right now, he would be a huge liability at that position in the Premier League. Obviously, Arsenal have an incredibly good setup defensively, and, you know, he could probably be covered by Ben White in that role or Saliba, whoever ends up playing in the right center back role next year. But either way, he needs to improve defensively and he did step up to the play pretty well. I wouldn't say it was an amazing, perfect match, but for somebody who is not used to that kind of defensive need to his game and, and needs to offer that support, I thought he was excellent. Five of nine duels, one on the ground, two clearances, one tackle. You know, the main thing for me is he's a little bit reactionary as a defender, and that's when you can get into trouble. You need to anticipate the space you need to be in and anticipate the run of the opposition. Otherwise, you're going to get caught out. And and he's very lucky that he wasn't at fault for a goal conceded because there was one ball played in right, you know, basically under his nose, and he didn't see the runner on his back shoulder, and, you know, the runner basically missed an open goal from... A little inside the penalty spot. So, Brooke got a little lucky there, but he grew into the game defensively, and he has the physical attributes, as we always say. So, 
once he gets that positioning down a little better, I mean, he'll be ready to do that. And I hope, you know, I hope he has a few more matches like this where he needs to do a lot defensively because offensively he's got no issues. He, he played great going forward uh, in this game. He was two out of three dribbles successful, two completed crosses, one key pass. I mean, it astounds me how much space defenders are giving him when he's a little bit higher than the edge of the box out on the right wing, because that is where his delivery is the best. It is outrageously good where he can play that in-swinging ball at a kind of a medium height on a line drive, but kind of right where the striker likes it with enough pace to just have to get a foot on it, basically, to get it in the goal. I mean, he's a striker's dream when it comes to that. But yeah, really excellent game for Brooke going forward. And, you know, he ended up getting called up to the uh, England under-19s and played on Wednesday for them against the Ireland under-19s, actually against Jack Henry Francis, who was called up for the Ireland under-19s, and we'll get to that later. But, you know, Brooke played 77 minutes. Unfortunately, this game was only on radio, so I, I wasn't really able to watch it, and there, there are no highlights out quite yet. But from what it seemed like and from what I heard, it seemed like he was in really nice positions going forward as, again. I mean, obviously, that's what we know he's great at. Uh, they played a back four England and it sounded like he was just kind of physically dominating opponents. And he actually got called for a few fouls that I think were only called as fouls because he is such a physical beast. And in the senior level, you wouldn't see those called as fouls. At least that's what the announcers were making it seem like. But, you know, it seemed like he really played well and made zero faults as far as I'm concerned. It sounded like the goal came from the opposite side of the pitch. The only thing I would say is... It didn't sound like the few crosses he put in were, were met by either Dane Scarlett or, you know, whoever else was in there. But he was on the ball a lot. I heard his name a lot, um, kind of gallivanting up that right wing like we know. So it's great to see him getting international experience. I mean, this has been a massive year for him developmentally, and that's going to reap huge benefits for Arsenal in the future. Another player who's received a Young Lions call-up for the U21s is Fuller and Balagoon, and unfortunately, the Middlesbrough FA Cup run has come to an end in the quarterfinal as they took a 2-0 loss to Chelsea. Balagoon played 74 minutes in that loss, uh, in that striker role, same place he's been playing, the left-sided striker, and, you know, it's a tough night when you're playing Chelsea as Middlesbrough. You, you don't have a lot of possession, you don't have a lot of scoring opportunities, but I would say that Flo made the most of it. He was certainly Burrow's best attacking player on the night and maybe the only one who really seemed up to the physical challenge of going up against players of that caliber. Unfortunately, Burrow just didn't really possess the ball very much and a lot of his role was more defensive and positional and keeping shape and kind of trying to shape his body to force passes out and away from the middle and you know towards the wings. But obviously, we all know Chelsea can be pretty lethal in those areas as well. So... You know, I think Flo made the best of the experience. Obviously, the fact that he's gotten to play Tottenham, United, and Chelsea uh, in the last six weeks is huge for his development and I think has helped his physicality and confidence really grow because I think in those first few matches this year in the Premier League, he kind of got a little shook up by the fact that he wasn't physically there. I think he thought he was. And after growing another six months with the U23s and playing some minutes with Middlesbrough, he looks a lot more confident physically to feel like he can put his back to goal with a big Premier League center back on his back. So I think this was a good, you know, good test for him. Obviously, nothing really great to share from that match just because Burrow created nearly nothing. But Flo looked to create. He was pretty much the main outlet all night. And, you know, he got a couple of shots. Neither were on target. But 
That means he found himself in spaces that were at least a little bit aggressive and attacking, which is good because that's not always easy to do when, you know, your team's barely possessing the ball. You can kind of get out of the match. So strong mentality from him. And he's got a test coming up playing for the England U21s. They're playing Andorra and Albania. Hopefully we'll see him start at least one of those matches. Uh, Hopefully get a goal to keep the confidence going, you know, coming off that goal last week for Middlesbrough. So, you know, it's a fun international break for him. He enjoys playing with the U21s and He's got a lot of friends there, so that, that should be a, a good time for him, and we'll catch you up on that next week uh, after those matches have been played. Another player who's even more impressive internationally, but also just been an absolute beast this year, Daniel Ballard, played 90 minutes in a 2-0 loss to Stoke. Actually, their first goal is allowed since Ballard's return from a knee injury. And the truth of the matter is, Daniel Ballard again put in an unbelievable shift. He played really, really well against a physically challenging team, we'll call it, that Stoke are, as we all know, and have our things to say about them. But this was actually Ballard's best game distributing the ball and playing out from the back as far as I've seen him play. He misplaced only eight passes out of the 50 that he made, and even more impressively and more importantly to me and probably Arteta is how good he was playing long balls over the top and both to, you know, his center forwards and wingers who had kind of come to the halfway line to come back to the ball. He was 5 of 7 on long balls. So that's a big improvement. He started the season kind of spraying the ball everywhere a little bit and not really finding teammates when he was clearing. But That's a big improvement for him and one that's certainly going to help his prospects at at getting first-team minutes at Arsenal. And then, of course, the defensive side, he's just a brick wall. Three clearances, two interceptions, one tackle, won all of his aerial duels. I mean, he is not that tall of a guy, and he is so good in the air. It's pretty amazing. Uh, He also has really started to get a little better at understanding how to flick a header on to goal. He's gotten a few... Shots on goal over the last few weeks on some headers, and he had a lovely one in this match that unfortunately was saved by the keeper, but it's off a set piece, and he kind of had his back to goal and was a long ways away, still probably just outside the penalty spot, and he got some good pace on it. So it's good to see that someone of his size is so dominant in the air and offers a real threat for goal scoring off of corner kicks and something that Arsenal have gotten a lot better at. So it's really nice to see for him, and he was not at fault for either goal that Millwall conceded. Both came off set pieces, and neither were near the man that he was marking. So can't really fault Ballard for that one. And he was called up to the Northern Ireland senior team uh, for this international break, and it, he'll be playing against Luxembourg and Hungary. I would expect to see him start at least one of those matches, if not both. And, and you know, that's great. It's really great to see all the experience he's getting this year. He's had multiple successful loans in a row now, and That says a lot about a player because it's not that easy to have a successful loan period. A lot of players struggle. A player who, although scored last week, kind of struggled this week is Nikolai Moeller, who played 90 minutes in a 2-0 loss to Almir, and it wasn't his best game. He was a beast in the air because that's what he does. When it comes down to it, good or bad, he's going to be a beast in the air. And he really helped the team play out in terms of, you know, playing to his chest or playing to his head and kind of that's their only way out. That's really how Den Bosch play. But the issue for Muller was when he received the ball, he wasn't really keeping possession. And if you're the outlet, that's kind of your main role. And when you're not doing that well, the team's going to struggle to create chances. 
The big thing for me with Moeller, and from what I know about the kid, it's a big thing for him, is his confidence. Like, when he's confident, he's such an intelligent and creative player for someone his size and physicality that it would be hard to see him failing. But when he's not confident, he doesn't attack the box the way he attacks the rest of the pitch. So, like, his movement around the rest of the pitch is ridiculous. Like, he covers a lot of ground. Both sides of the pitch is always providing the correct place to be in terms of being an outlet and looking both upfield and knowing when to play a safe pass. Obviously, that wasn't the case in this match, but there were a couple times in this match where if he had been more aggressive in the box in terms of his movement, he would have had a shot on goal at the very least, if not a tap-in goal. And if you're going to be a target man, that is a key, key aspect of your role. So you got to assume that's something he's going to be working on with coaches both back at Arsenal and while he's at Den Bosch and, you know, in the Swedish international setup. So we, we hope he works on that and starts banging goals again. Obviously, we you know, we had that goal last week. So, you know, this is going to happen. When you're playing in the second division in the Dutch league, there's also a little lack of quality around you, and, and that makes a big difference. So I'm not down on Moeller in any way, shape, or form, just merely reporting what happened. Somebody who's starting to gain confidence and somebody who I'm getting excited about again is Matthew Smith. Because now we're talking about a few performances in a row where his impact on the game was clear and obvious. And, you know, he was clearly the best player on the pitch, at least from the from the Doncaster side of things. He played 90 minutes in a nil-nil draw against Fleetwood. And he looked really dangerous with the ball at his feet, the way that I'm used to seeing him play, at least in previous loans. He looked to do a lot when he had 1v1s or felt that he could take a man on. He had two successful dribbles, which I can't recall the last time he did that. And he won 8 out of 10 ground duels. He was incredible defensively. Two clearances, a block shot, three tackles, and an interception. I mean, these are the things that he's not great at. And he was dominant in this game at doing that. You can only imagine what he was doing to create. Uh, he, he had a key pass, which is hard to come by this year for Doncaster. And... You know, he was just linking up well with his teammates, and you love to see it from Matthew, and again, I don't know if his future lies with Arsenal, but I can promise you that confident showings like this make his value go up, and there's nothing wrong getting 8-10 million pounds for a player of his caliber. I mean, we did it with Christian Bielik to Derby. It worked out for both teams. Obviously, Bielik's had a whole host of injuries that have really plagued his career, unfortunately, but a good player on his day and someone who can help a team in the championship or in a lower level of the Premier League. So I'm happy for Matthew Smith, and I think he's going to be happy with the way he's playing now, and I think the setup at Doncaster is finally starting to change into a, in a into an area where he can succeed. So great things for him to come over the next month or so left of the season, and, you know, again, he's going to have 50-plus caps this year for a senior side. So that's a great loan spell regardless of how it all ends. Speaking of future value to Arsenal, that of Jordi Osei-Tutu is starting to become a little bit questionable. He hasn't quite found his stride yet playing with Rotherham, and I'm not sure that he's going to. He just doesn't look comfortable. Like, he doesn't look athletically comfortable. He doesn't look physically comfortable. He just looks a little bit sluggish and Really not the player that I recall watching at Botcham. I don't know 
what the exact problem is. Obviously, I'm not in the dressing room at Rotherham, but I mean, he got his chance this week after, you know, taking a week off. As I suspected, I think they were just giving him a little bit of a rest because he looked a little slow in the Hartlepool match and, you know, a history of injuries. They didn't want to risk it, but in this 3-0 loss to Shrewsbury, he kind of looked lost. Um, He just didn't have his best game in possession. He was misplacing passes left and right. He found himself out of position for two of the goals that were scored. And I think, I mean, they subbed him off because they were down 2-0 and down a man and needed an attacking player on, but he just kind of was not there defensively. And he can do good things going forward, but he's not an offensive player enough to warrant not being a defender. So I don't really know what his role is moving forward. I mean, he played fine offensively. He had a key pass. He, you know, had one of two dribbles successful. He, he looked fine in 1v1s, and he won two out of three of his ground duels. Like, he looked fine offensively, but he does not offer enough defensively to just be fine offensively and vice versa. It's really a little bit confusing because this should be kind of below the level that he's at. Or it's not, right? Like, certain players just don't continue to develop for whatever reason that might be. I do think Jordy has plenty of positives to his game, and I really hope he kind of figures it out. Or maybe, you know, you never know what people are going through. It could be a mental health thing. There are all sorts of things that are going on, but just from what I'm watching, he doesn't look fully in it. And he's not committed to his play style on the pitch, and that's going to harm him and his future value both to himself and to Arsenal. So at the moment, it's a little confusing on what might be the next step for Jordy in his career, but he needs to pick it up at Rotherham and start performing a little bit better if he wants any chance at either making it Arsenal or, you know, making a transfer to a club he wants to play at next season. So there's a big six, eight weeks coming up here for Jordy. And the same goes for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who basically doesn't get a look in for Mourinho unless it's a completely meaningless match. I mean, he did play 66 minutes at right wing back in the 1-1 draw with Vitesse that saw Roma progress into the next round of the Conference League. But that wasn't a match that should have been so close. Roma kind of put out a lineup assuming they would go through after having a lead, then you know conceded to Vitesse, and luckily Tammy Abraham saved them for the what one trillionth time this season. But Ainsley is another player whose confidence is just beyond shook. I mean, when he's confident, you can tell because his body language is, tells the whole story as a player who looks a little bit nonchalant sometimes out there. You can tell when he's really in it or not. He is a good player in 1v1 situations and always has been. That's why I think people think he's kind of the ideal wingback player. But if he's not confident going forward, then he's not offering enough to be playing in a five at the back as a wingback because a big part of the role is offering the width for the team and offering an outlet for the team and offering you know somebody who's secure with the football. And he continues to just kind of be lazy with the ball at his feet and misplace passes left and right and not venture forward when he needs to. And that's why he was sitting on the bench for the 3-0 win over Lazio on the weekend and didn't see himself get in. So obviously his future is not at Roma. I think we all know his future is not at Arsenal. It's a tricky situation for Ainsley. He's going to have to decide what position he wants to play, where his head's at. There's a lot on the line here for his future. And it's just crazy to think that he was in the England setup just a little bit over a year ago. So it's a weird situation for Ainsley and one that hopefully will kind of heal naturally and will find the right answer. I know he wants to do that. I know he's well-respected amongst his peers. So 
Let's just see how it goes. Obviously, this Rome alone not working the way he wanted to didn't make sense for either club when it happened and still doesn't. But that happens in football. You never know. Too many unpredictable things, including what's happening with Tim Akinola, who still cannot get on the pitch for Dundee. On the bench for the 3-0 loss to Celtic, doesn't get a look in. I mean, Arsenal might as well recall him and play him with the U23s. This is just such a waste of time. It's not an injury. He's on the bench for every match, just not getting a chance to play for the first team. And then, obviously, there are the four other lone players who are still not back from injury, which are Tyrese John-Jules, Carl Hine, Harry Clark, and Ryan Alibiosu. All four still receiving treatment and not quite ready to make it back into the first team. So that's it for the players currently out on loan, but we do have some exciting youth players who are getting some call-ups to their national teams, starting with Marcelo Flores, who already does have a cap for Mexico's senior team. He was called up to the U-20s uh, to face Suriname, Trinidad and Tobago, and Haiti in a space of five days. My assumption is he'll probably play in two of those matches. I mean, that's a lot of games in five days. So we'll see what happens, but I mean, we all saw he was rated number 48 on that next-gen profile as one of the biggest prospects in the world. He's really burst onto the scene this year, and he's really just a rare mix of athletic ability and positional awareness, and he can kind of play in multiple positions, and he can finish, he can create. He's an exciting player, and we'll be sure to watch him play for the Mexico under-20s. Uh, Roel Walters getting a call-up for the England under-18s. They'll face Sweden and Denmark over the next 10 days. Uh, Mario Cozier-Duerberry called up to the England under-17s. They'll face France and Luxembourg during this international break. Uh, Matthias Roberts called up to the Wales under-18s. They'll play Finland in a friendly international over this break. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Jack Henry Francis has been called up to the under-19s, faced England on Wednesday, March 23rd. Uh, And then later in this break, we'll face Armenia and Portugal as well as the Ireland under-19s look to qualify for the under-19 Euros. As I said, the match was only on radio. I was not able to watch it, but Henry Francis played 90 minutes and picked up a yellow. Sounded like, and from what I could find online, that he was playing in a pivot, which he's not really used to playing in uh, at the youth levels. Obviously, we know him to play more of that number six role, uh, sitting behind a pivot. So it sounded like the first half, he kind of had to grow into the match a little bit. I didn't hear his name called too often. Didn't sound like he was playing his normal amount of progressive passes or kind of, you know, getting a a foot in and winning those challenges that he likes to because he's quite a gritty player. But it sounded like he kind of picked up as the game started to get more physical. He started to get more involved because that's where he likes to be, kind of winning those midfield battles. And sounded like he got a little more involved. He made a few good passes moving forward and helping progress the Ireland team up the field. Obviously, they struggled a little bit against England because England has a lot more talent, but you know, he kind of embodies what the team put out there today for the Ireland under-19s. He was gritty. He was physical. He was putting a foot in, picked up a yellow card, which is not surprising in a match like that, but great to see him getting that experience. His second time being called up to the under-19s and a couple more matches to come next week. So, very exciting time for all these young players who are getting to represent their country. I know it means the world to them. I know fans will be watching and following along as well as I will be. And, you know, another great week for the young boys out on loan and, and now getting their experience internationally. So next week there will be an episode to catch you up on all of the Arsenal Academy players who are representing the team internationally. And, you know, if you guys think that you'd like to hear about 
the first team players representing their clubs internationally, I can do that too. I'm not really sure where the wants and needs are for this podcast, but please interact with me. Let me know what you're looking forward to this week, and it might be a good time for some question and answer. So let me know if you have any questions about certain players, and I'll, I'll kind of uh, aggregate those and, and bring those onto the pod to answer because uh, I really you know enjoy interacting with you all on Twitter, and maybe I could be a little more descriptive and detailed in my answer uh, in this format. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.